Well, welcome to the Seven Panel, and uh, I'm so happy to have with us Eileen, Kate, and Laura. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. I'm Eileen, and um, I'm married to Joe, who just turned a year older yesterday. And I have three kids um, who make up our squad, uh, uh, Melissa, Eric, and Amory, all in their 20s. I have no teenagers. It's good life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for, uh, for work, I actually work with teams and team leaders in the drug development space, work for myself, and I have my happy place also, and it's actually work. Um, mm. Love what I do and feel like I get to use my strengths every day, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yep. I'm Kate. Um, I'm also dating a Joe who turns a year older tomorrow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I am from Portland, Oregon. I've been living on the East Coast for about six years now. And I work at a bookstore, which is my happy place. I really love talking and thinking about books all the time. And I live with some roommates here in the city. It's really fun. I'm jealous. Uh, I'm Laura. I am I have one daughter. I'm not Dating a Joe or married <laughs> to a Joe or married at all. I have one daughter. She is 10. I, uh, for work, used to be in marketing for 15 years, and now I work for myself. I teach yoga-based retreats and workshops all over the country. Um, I'm writing my first book, about to be done with that in a couple weeks. Great. And, yeah, so mm. I think that's, those are the important things. Cool. Thank you. So I'm going to give a brief description of the Type 7. The literature describes the 7 as an enthusiast or an epicure. They are the type to want to keep themselves nurtured, entertained, happy, interested, optimistic. Uh, and this means that they oftentimes avoid limits or feeling confined. They often avoid the darker emotions, Um because it can also feel very confining to be trapped by those darker emotions. So, now that's that's the description, but that's also my take also as a type 7. And uh, I'd love to hear from you guys if you would add to that, if you would comment on that. For sure. The I had an instance last night where, it wasn't an instance, I had plans last night. And this is what happens to me almost always when I make plans is I'm very hesitant to make them anyway because I never know if I'm going to actually want to do them when the time <laughs> comes. And I hate that feeling of being stuck doing them. But I decided to keep the plans and had a great time, went to a show, music, you know, live music, which I love. Then this morning, it was with a longtime friend, and this morning we were chatting about what we were going to be doing here. And I bounced some of the questions off of her. She's known me for 20 years. And the first thing that came up was, yeah, you're the worst to make plans with because I feel like I have to pin you down. Mm. And it's always been like that. And I said, I know I'm getting better. I'm, tr I'm trying to get better about that. But it's a real, it's a real, I know how frustrating that is for people, but it's also a real thing of just hating to be locked into something, mm. no matter what it is. Mm. Relationships, it can lead to a lot of, like a lot of resentment for people because who wants to feel like that? Yeah. 
that you don't, you know, it's not personal either. It's just this like, oh, I can't. Like for me, seeing a calendar full of things makes me feel crazy. Mm. I do everything I can to have a clear day. Mm. A quick thought about that. It's it's interesting how some of the literature says uh, type sevens like to have a full calendar. In fact, yes. some of them actually say this on podcast. Oh, sevens all love to have a full calendar. There's a variety of us out there. And there's some who do love to have a full calendar. But what's functioning underneath that is the same issue of um, either wanting to keep ourselves buoyed and optimistic and upbeat. And that can be the, the calendar thing. But there's also, for a lot of us, that idea of being trapped by the calendar yeah. is very unnerving. So I see yeah, you guys nodding your heads as well. I've heard that the whole I want to have a full calendar thing and that. And I get that it swings both ways. Mm. Like it could swing both ways, that desire for constant entertainment. I used to be that way. And as I've gotten older or whatever, or I get hopefully got more healthy, I it's <laughs> swung in the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. I want like zero plans. No, mm-hmm. no expectations of me. Yeah. So that's so interesting because I think that's a new insight for me. I just had an aha moment mm-hmm. because I, I never really thought about that. But even this morning... I said to my husband, I wish I didn't commit to come to this. I wanted to hang out in my house, maybe read my book, you know. So I feel similarly because he says, you do that all the time. You commit to things and then you never, ever, ever want to go. And I do. Mm-hmm. So the, I never thought about that. Yeah. I never thought about it. But I do. I commit and I say yes, probably because I'm afraid to say no. Not to this. Like, I really do want to do it. I just didn't want to leave my house. Mm-hmm. But I never kind of named it as I don't want to be trapped. So I'm going to have to think about that. Hmm. That's interesting. I am so different than this. I'm one of the fill your calendar types um, to like a compulsive degree, but I find that sense of not wanting to be trapped coming from like other areas of my life. Hmm. I see this with friendships interest. I know that sounds weird, but um, I have a, I love having good friends and I do not like having like best friends. Like, Some people really love having, like, one or two very close relationships. And when a friendship starts approaching, like, kind of a clingy nature or we want to spend all our time together, I put people at, like, an arm's length because Mm. I want to have space for, like, all of the friends I'd like to have rather (laughs) rather than, like, confining myself to this, like, one or two friendships. But when it comes to my calendar, like, sign me up for all the things I don't have time for. And idleness makes me, like— very, very antsy. Oh, yeah. Going back to what Joel was saying, that idea of, like, sinking into your thoughts, like, not that there's some dark thing waiting for me down there. Maybe there is. But, like, the idea of wanting to be occupied all the time and keeping things moving, I find Mm. really compelling. Yeah. Well, that's the paradox, isn't it? Because, I mean, for all of us sevens, I think we would say that's the type of paradox we live in is, on one hand, idleness. You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And then when the nothing comes, it's like, we fill it. What am we I going to do? Ways, exactly. <laughs> what like, what am I going to do? do? And then it's, <laughs> so we'll find a way to, to fill that. This is like this avoidance of boredom because being bored is really a terrible thing, you know. And That's a bad place for me. Yeah. It's a bad place for me to be bored. Yeah. I don't understand boredom. Like, I don't feel bored. So what is that? Because I know a lot of sevens say that. But I don't—I can't remember the last time I felt bored. Mm. 
So maybe I'm working really hard not to be bored. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just an interesting thing that I've never really identified with. That's good. Yeah, let's hear more about that. That's a good question. Like, I consider being bored having nothing meaningful to do. Like, not able to make progress on something. Even if it's it's reading a book. Like, okay, okay, I'm going to make progress on my book. But if I'm sitting around thinking, uh, what should I do? That's that's boredom for me. Got it. For me, it is. You're you're not in your head as well, Kate. You you think? Yeah, I feel the same way. Which might be, when I... First started looking into the Enneagram, I thought it was a three because I felt very progress-driven. I see the same thing with boredom. It's it's like I love having time to relax and like have time alone. I tend to be an introvert like that. But the idea of boredom where it's like I don't like know what to do or what to make progress on or like what's coming next feels very like time is being like wasted, mm-hmm. which is I don't want to feel that way, but it is how I am, I guess. Yeah. And that and in that way we do have a similar there's a, there's a bit of a lookalike with a three, with the type three. Mm-hmm. And that productivity matters to sevens. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Would you all say that? Absolutely. One hundred percent. More than I want it to I get along with threes the best because yeah. in work situations. Because yeah. of that, it's like we're on the same fast pace. We're going. We're, we like don't we make decisions? Mm. It moves. Yeah, yeah. Well, and type threes can really help us. And not to get into type threes here because this is about the sevens. But in that, but this is a good contrast because for sevens, we are idea people. Yeah, and right? they will actually finish. The they <laughs> <laughs> they're good to have around. <laughs> uh, we tend much more towards those, and it, this is part of the nature of the seven uh, to keep them to keep ourselves really interested and to keep ourselves optimistic and upbeat and um, and interested in life. Is we need ideas, we need something new, something fresh. Um, a couple of people have said optimism, and I didn't realize until really recently that my optimism can really irritate people. Oh, mm. yeah. I thought it was great. I still think <laughs> I still think it's pretty great. Um, but I, I, um, so my daughter met with Joel, my twenty-year-old, and found out that she's an eight. And then, of course, in their conversation, talked about me being a seven. And now she says to me, "Is that your enthusiast telling me that I look great today, or is it for real?" I'm like, wow, like how many times has she said, my mom's just saying I look great because she's my mom. So that just started making me think like, wow, my optimism can come across as not genuine. Mm. And it really, I should say most of the time it is. Like I don't typically say, hey, you look great if you don't. Mm -hmm. I just learned that recently. Mm. Not everybody loves my optimism. Not everyone loves optimism, period. Right. You know, it's, right. whether it's real or not, it's just, it feels like a non-reality. Right. Exactly. They say I'm a realist as if I'm not. Right. Mm. I've heard that. Yeah. You know, but said about me as well. Yeah. 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 I know sevens have a tendency to reframe the negative in terms of something positive. And I do that a lot with my optimism. I try to, if my, you know, friend's having a hard time, I'm like, well, what if you looked at it this way? And perhaps sometimes it's comforting, but a lot of times what they want is to commiserate. Right, right. Um, I had a friend who recently went through a breakup, and she's sad that her travel plans over the summer, she now doesn't have a buddy to do them with. And I was like, what a wonderful opportunity to travel alone. I would love to travel alone. And she was like, that sounds like the most miserable thing ever. And I'm like, well, you just got to look at it differently. And I was like, man, like, I shouldn't act like everyone has the same interests as me. But 
but mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. idea of reframing to like get some like cool opportunity out of it. And not everyone's looking for that in every situation. Right. right. Well, there's the there's the high side to us. When we do that, we're generally trying genuinely trying to lift people up because we care. Uh, the low side is sometimes we just don't want to be trapped by their negativity either yeah. and by their darkness. Yeah. Right. Am I right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how I feel anyways. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Go there for a minute. We're not staying. We're not staying. Yeah. No, yeah. We're going to stay there. Part of growth for us is uh, is is learning to like spend a, a little bit more time in that right. space just because of uh, other people need that. But this goes to um, the first question I wanted to ask you guys, which is about relationships. Um, what do you bring what do I mean, we already started down that path? What do we bring as sevens to relationships? When I was thinking about this question, you have to define relationship for me. I was telling Joel earlier, I basically have three rings of friends and or relationships, I should say. So I consider my immediate family. So the one I grew up in and the one that I have right now, like the inner ring, I think they're really probably the only people in the world that really know me, good, bad, and ugly. And then there's a second ring of my best friend since I was 18, and we're still really close. She probably knows me better than anybody in the world outside of my first ring. And then, you know, I have four or five friends. That's it. And I, it's funny, you say, I say all the time, I don't need new friends. I don't have time for the friends that I have right now. I don't need new friends because everybody else is on the out of the, the rest of the world is on the outer ring. And I love a lot of people in that ring, but they know nothing about me. So it's different. So when I am in that outer, outer ring, I bring fun because I show up as the happy, go lucky. Nothing is wrong. There is no pain in my life. Life is good, Eileen. That's the outer ring. You know, the inner ring, they get what they, they, what you see is what you get. And, you know, so my inner ring is very close. That second ring, like even my best friends, there's four total. I don't tell them everything. Mm-hmm. I tell them what I'm up to. I might tell them what I'm thinking. I never tell them what I feel. Mm-hmm. Just don't. I just don't. It's, that's just mine. That's so, a, that's a, but that's an excellent, I love how you contextualize that. Mm-hmm. To me, I'd love to hear from you guys as well in terms of, like, because I didn't think of that until you said that to me earlier, is what does it look like yeah, in context? it's different. For you, it's, it's very much about that inner circle where you're totally open yeah. and you can feel you can be real. And then, but that second, clo- which to many sevens would feel like, Best friends. They are That's best friends. Really they are close, best friends. isn't that? And is, but yeah. yet, you know. And then as it goes out to the yeah. outer rings, it's even less of of that. Yeah. Um, it takes me courage even to tell my best friend for literally almost forty years. And I will contextualize it. I'll say this is really hard for me. And by the way, I'm texting, I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is really hard for me, but I'm going to admit something. Send, and then I still have to work. And that's how I commit to saying it. But and that's my best friend in the whole world for almost forty years. Wow. Mm. So that's, yeah. I really agreed with what you were saying about how the outer circle, the people who don't know you as well, you bring like only positivity. I find that my most extroverted, most confident self comes out only with either strangers or people that I'm meeting for the first time and I'm trying to impress in some way, like friends of friends or something like that. But I, I find that like... I don't know if this sounds like a weird humble brag, but I make good first impressions because the first impression of the seven is like really enthusiastic and fun. Um, I love telling stories. I think I bring a lot of storytelling to relationships. Mm. And so it's a lot of, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, I have this repertoire of stories I can just pull from to share. Um, But then, like you said, the people who've known me longer get to see the deeper, like, 
more, um, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I I don't find um, people who say that they struggle with kind of, like, um, being, like, shy or being, like, they have to, like, warm up on first impressions. I can't really relate to that at all. Mm -hmm. So interesting to think about it in this sort of ring ring way. I would say— I used to spend most of my time in that outer ring performing, you know, and that comes very, like, naturally and easy to me to be extroverted and fun and animated. And um, my friend that I was talking to last night, she's like, you've always been, you always bring so much humor to every conversation and take people to like a much deeper level than they usually would be willing to go even just you know on on all levels because you're always so engaged in like really deeply engaged in a lot of things even if you're just talking about a show that you're watching it's like we're gonna go into this you know we're gonna talk about it ah it's gonna be so exciting so that I used to spend almost all my time there and there were very very few people or really no one for a long time that new sort of the, I call it like the last 5% mm, of that's you, a good way to put it. you know, the, mm, yeah. what's really going on. And oftentimes it was even hidden from me. Mm. But over time, I got sober four years ago and that just kind of broke everything for me in in a bad way, in a, in a very good way, because I had to start really telling the truth about what was going on with me. And so I would say now I... I almost tried not to spend any time out out on the outer ring doing what I was doing. I don't mind. Like, if I, it's kind of nice to exercise that a little bit. But I have a few people, not a big circle, but a few people on the that inner world. And there's a lot less pretending. It's way more introverted. I spend a lot more time alone. Mm. And I enjoy that. So as far as what the question is, what do you bring to a relationship? I still think I bring a lot of that fun and new. I've heard throughout my whole life, you bring like, it's always new. There's mm-hmm. just new things going on with you all the time. And it's like, like no day is ever the same. And I, have, I had a boyfriend once tell me like, I will never get bored with you because there's just always so much going on. You're You're thinking about like a million different things all the time. And it's awesome. But now I can also see that that's really, in some, sometimes that's just a way to not, I've really had to learn how to just stay mm-hmm. with the boring and the monotonous and, and things like that. So it's that flip side of, yeah, I can, I can bring fun, I can bring novelty, I can bring exciting, I can bring like really stimulating conversations and things like that. But as I, I've grown, I think I've brought a little bit more just hopefully quiet <laughs> And mm. stability, you know, worked on that. Mm. So, uh, just a thought on that, real quick. Is like the, the sobriety for you is 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 much more than just about, you know, not whatever, drinking, not drinking yeah. the the addiction. It, it's it's sobriety in a lot of other ways. It's really remarkable how you're. Yeah. So there's this great definition I think we <laughs> talked about that I think is interesting for every seven to hear because sobriety is the virtue of a seven, or it's like the growth path, right? But it's not about not drinking or what it's not about an, an addiction per se, but um, I heard it described as or defined as sobriety as the capacity to savor 
Mm. which I thought was so beautiful and so true for a seven, just to savor, to have something be enough, Mm. whatever it is, an experience, a person, a drink, you know, Mm -hmm. and to be able to savor it and not have to need more. Mm. That's really, really, really good. This is the whole thing of the, the seven's tendency towards gluttony and to consuming but never really digesting or absorbing it. And the savoring is teaching us how to absorb it and actually be satisfied with what we have. Yeah. That's really That's awesome. huge. Yeah. That is awesome. I love that definition. And um, when I started actually reflecting on my gluttony in all areas, I reflected back on parenting and, you know, my poor children, thank goodness they're going into great adults because they grew up with go big or go home. Yeah. You know, we are in this, you know. So, and one, you know, and, and now I think, oh my gosh, what did I do to them? <laughs> and I'm sure it I'm sure it served them well in some ways, but and thankfully they're all coming into their own now. But I'll tell you this is how far it goes and it's kind of funny. So, my my boy in the middle is 23 and he has down syndrome and he is the healthiest, happiest, biggest gift you could ever imagine. My 20-year-old This was about seven years ago. So she was 14 and he was 16, something like that. He's going to a special Olympics basketball game, right? And Amory shakes him and we have it on video. It's funny, but it's now it's like, oh my gosh. And she shakes him and she says, we are Habilos. We don't lose. Don't come home without the trophy. And I'm going, oh my gosh. You know, so we all laugh then, but now I'm thinking about, what did I do to these young people who are now in the world? <laughs> you know, yeah. It, but that's everything was big. If I had a new hobby, I'd go spend a thousand bucks on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and then go big or go home <laughs> is just reality. So that's funny. Yeah. I feel like my gluttony as a seven has caused my parents a lot of strife growing up. Um, whenever I had the opportunity to travel or like I had time off from school to do something. You know, I I could have, like, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, gone to Wyoming and worked on, like, a dude ranch, or I could have done something local. But I always went for, like, the most, like, risky, like, um, I'm try- so when I was, um, I just finished my freshman year of college, I decided to, like, for the summer, instead of getting, like, a nice internship, I would hike the John Muir Trail, which is 200 miles in California with three of my, like, girlfriends, and it would take us about a month to do it, and we would only—we wouldn't have any cell service, so my parents had to, like, look at the satellite images every night to make sure that we were, like, not eaten by bears. (laughs) (laughs) And then my junior year of college, I studied abroad in India, and I, like, didn't prepare enough before I went and was, like, totally flustered when I got there for, like—and realized that I had committed to being there for four months. I somehow hadn't mentally prepared to be there that long, um, which was silly. And then I graduated from college, and I— decided to travel alone to Greece for, like, five weeks. And so, like, all of these experiences, my parents like, you could have chosen something small, mm-hmm. but you chose the thing that was farthest from us and, like, the most alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've all caused me a lot of joy, but I think I, I think that a lot of my desire to do kind of, like, risky or solo things is based in that go-big-or-go-home attitude. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe I wasn't, you know, really passionate about living alone in Greece, but the idea that I could, like, not only do this but make it harder or make it more challenging was something that drove me to do it for better or for worse. Or something like, 
Um, and this is like a like a criticism of myself. Like the idea that I can, you know, go around and tell people that I did it. It's like this performative nature of the seven to be able to look back and say, like, wow, look at all this cool stuff I did. Oh, um, we're, we're accumulating yeah. stories, aren't we? Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, good life experiences, but also is there another reason that I'm doing these things? Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are great stories. They really brought out a great first impression. I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I was so entertained by the rabbit trails. I was like, did everyone answer the question? No, what question? question? Did anyone <laughs> answer the we question? We still have answered the question. What you bring we to We have to talk more to figure oh, out. sorry. <laughs> what do you bring to relationships? So can we systematically go down and say, what do you bring to a relationship? Oh, sorry. I it think depends. I said novelty, excitement. <laughs> Okay, so you answered the question, and then and then it then it sort of went. Oh. So it depends on my rings, right? It depends on the rings. The outer ring gets fun. The middle ring. One thing I do bring I, to every relationship is I want to. I want to. It's service. Like I want to help you. How can I help you? Wow. What can I do? What can I do for you? Um, so I am always looking for problems to solve with other people, and I make them my own. So I do bring service. I think. I don't know if that's a seven or if that's Eileen, but I kind of bring, I do stuff for people. But you framed it differently, I was thinking, than the two panel we had earlier where they want to be there for their emotional needs. Oh, Lord, no. Them. Mm. But you said, because <laughs> you said, I want to serve people. I want then, projects. <laughs> give me stuff to do. How you, how you frame that is give me a problem to solve. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I'll let you know. I like that, too. Yeah. I do those. I was like, when you said that, I'm like, Wow. No, but I don't, it's the emotional part. It's more, but yeah, give me a give me a challenge. Yeah. Give me a fun, creative problem to put my brain on, and I'm yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. I feel that way in terms of wanting to give people advice, even if mm-hmm. they don't want it or not. Um, I like. I think that I I'm bring like I th- I feel that I'm like a good listener when. Not maybe not all the time, but when people are really struggling with something, like something has happened to them, they really need someone to listen to them talk about, vent about something for a long period of time. I think that I'm good at listening in those situations, but when they're done talking, I'm ready to like return the advice. And it's hard for me to sit still and not give advice, but. I do think I bring, like, a good listening ear to relationships in that. And then I also bring, like you were saying, novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want to go to the same restaurant twice. Um, I always want to travel to a new place. Doing Watching a movie twice seems like the worst way I could spend an evening. So new things I think I definitely bring, too. Yeah. yeah. Did we answer the question? <laughs> that was yeah. answering the question. <laughs> it was, but it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there's a story. Mm-hmm. Well, it, so there's a lot of things we we feel like, you know, we bring, but we're not the reason. It's oftentimes difficult for, for sevens, and really this is for other types that are self-referencing, is our focus tends oftentimes to be on ourselves. Even when we're thinking about the needs of other people, it's still very much that we go in first and, to, and, and figure out what we need, what we think, what we feel— um, and then provide that as a solution to the world around us. Um, and uh, and we're surprised when people don't. This is just like you were saying. You're surprised that people, um, Eileen. You said you're surprised that people aren't uh, don't enjoy your optimism quite as much as you do. <laughs> and because it's what we discern internally is helpful to us, should be helpful to the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what makes it difficult sometimes to actually answer the question directly as. I know what I bring to people, um, and this is what they need. But 
I think you've done a great job so far. Is like definitely novelty, reframing, helping people see things, perspective. Would mm-hmm. you say perspective is another thing that you bring? Mm-hmm. The ability to see something in a different way that they didn't see uh, before. It's almost like just to be with someone is like boredom. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to accomplish? Well, we're just going to be, really? Mm-hmm. That that to me is is almost like we're not accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time just sitting with someone even though, even if that's what they want or need. Mm. To me, it's just another way of piece of boredom. Mm. Yeah. Sounds pretty selfish when I say it out loud. <laughs> but, no. you know. but focusing on the things that we sevens do bring. Okay, so we do bring newness. We do bring a perspective change oftentimes. Another thing that we do bring is vision. We tend towards being big picture, outside the box, pattern recognizers. We know how things interconnect, and actually we long for that. That's another part of why we immerse ourselves in in something new, is because we want to know it from the inside out, and then we want to see how it connects to everything else. And then that's the gift that we can bring to the world. And that's really on our hearts to do. I think we genuinely want to help the world become better and different, you know, and see differently and be better. Um, Yeah. To me, there's no problem or issue or even emotional issue that is not that that you can't figure out right so I'm definitely able to sit with people in a lot of pain or in really difficult situations and because I know that they're that they that it's going to be okay I know like and when people truly think they're stuck you know, when I when I talk to people who really are st- stuck, I do it a lot in my work, are stuck in their minds, you know, truly believe they can't get out of a certain way of being or a certain mindset or a certain behavior or a, even like a relationship or a life circumstance or a job. It's like, there's no way that's true for you, you know? So there's this, I don't know if that's optimism or really just, ha- I feel like I do have this beautiful like reverence for the possibility in life, and I believe that's true for everybody. So you're, say, you're saying it's not like this ungrounded optimism, like this foolish sort of, I see through rose-colored colored no, glasses. No, no, it's, You're actually saying, I'm confident that if we think through this thing, we can, we can solve this problem. We can get through yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I think at one time, and maybe for a long time, it was a naive thing because I hadn't experienced enough life yet, but having, you know, gone through a lot of life and it hasn't darkened that or dampened that. If anything, it's kind of just broadened it and deepened it, this sense that I have for how big the possibility is inside each person. I feel it's more grounded now. And it's not even thinking through a problem. It's just like there's an internal vastness inside of you that's that's available, mm. you know, so showing people that, mm. if that makes sense. It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Even in my work, I know that one of my gifts or styles or strengths that I get to use is helping people see their potential. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is experience, but now I'm at the point where they don't all have to be like Eileen's potential. You know, I, I see and I help people 
kind of get unstuck. You know, I'm now much more of a question asker than an advice giver than I was when I was even 10 years younger. Mm-hmm. So I can help people unpack better mm-hmm. than I used to because I used to tell them what I thought. I feel very similarly that I see potential in people sometimes, but even if I don't see the actual potential, I can help you unpack it. I can help you, you know, just, and I like to do that. Yeah. I like to do that. I'm, I'm only 24, and I think that that's something that I strive for, and I hope that I will achieve, is that I also feel like I see this great potential. Like when I said that I, um, I love, like, being there and listening to someone because, like, listening to someone's hardship, it's like I'm looking for the cracks in it, like, where the light can come through, right? Mm -hmm. The ways that I know that it's not all despair and that things will turn around. And I I similarly have that—sometimes it feels like blind confidence that, like, there will come a day when they they feel better— the thing they have moved past this thing. And I'm hoping to develop that ability, like you're saying, to help guide someone to find that potential within themselves rather than just kind of like hitting them over the head with like, don't you see it? Like it's there. It's been <laughs> yeah. there all along. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a progress to, to achieve yeah. that. Yeah. So do you mind if I, I want to share a book because literally— um, Always talk about books. <laughs> the, I know, me too. So <laughs> there is one book before the Enneagram that really changed my habit of advice giving into questioning, and it was um, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And I remember reading it and going, I break all the rules in this book. <laughs> and had to consciously practice asking questions and genuinely curious questions, not leading questions. Mm-hmm. Very true. And that's something that has literally shifted my whole approach to interacting with people. And that yeah. was about 10 years ago. It's that knowing, though. It's like this— uh, I mean, I think it, this is another sort of thing you can bring to relationships that goes both ways. It's like this— we live in our heads, right? And we're very strong there. Like, we know, we believe we know things, like, for sure, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can be good in some ways, and it can be really unhelpful mm-hmm. and sort of mm-hmm. um, heavy-handed and um, kind of one-up position on people mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm, yeah. Boy, I could keep drilling down because I'm a seven and I'm with you guys and I'd want to keep going in that space. But we have to move on to the next question, which may be a little bit tougher. We'll see. Um, what do you think you need from the relationships that uh, that you care about? When I was thinking about this, I felt that the thing that I most heavily draw upon in my relationships, especially in times of need, is like support, someone to give me advice, someone to to be that mirror and see the potential in myself. Because while I can see it in other people all the time, you know, you will get through this thing, things will turn around for you. I fail to follow my own advice. Mm-hmm. And I always, I, I'm always seeking out people who can listen and provide that for me. I think this also, though, plays into the idea that I don't like being alone with my negative emotions. And so having companionship um, or friendship or my parents to talk through things that I'm struggling with is very important. If I felt like I couldn't be vulnerable and share with the people who were closest to me, it would feel like I wasn't being fulfilled by those relationships because that's something I struggle so much to find internally. Um, Yeah. I mean, this sounds cliche, but it's true. Like a lot of freedom, a lot of, Mm. I need a lot of space Mm. 
and leeway to not to act out or to be selfish or or whatever, but to not take that part of my nature personally. So space to... In other words, don't be offended by my need for space. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. So allowance for independence, I need to be able to be independent. Mm -hmm. That said, I also need a container to hold the darker spaces and to allow those to just to be, to exist. And there needs to be a lot of like patience and space around, you know, it It feels like this, I just keep feeling like such a self-assurance, like everything needs to be on my terms. <laughs> like I'll share when I'm ready. I'll go there when I'm ready. I'll, you know, I keep feeling like, God, it must be frustrating to be in a relationship with me of any kind. <laughs> Do I feel like so? This truly. Is, no, I love it. I love. I love your your honesty about that. Do you feel like because this is where it's in, it, the the analogy that always comes to my mind is that of a cat and a dog. Mm. We've been described as being like golden retrievers, like dogs. Uh, yeah, excited. right, right, yeah. excited, happy. There's parts of it that we go, yeah, I relate to some of that, right? But then there's this other part you're describing that's much more like a cat. Yes, it's on your terms. Oh yeah, it's like if you're going to ask me if if it has to do with more of the inner world. The vulnerable spaces. I need to be coming to oh, you. Oh man, I need to be the one coming to you. Don't come right. chasing that stuff right. or try and to pull it out of me. Don't try to squeeze me too tight, or I'm going to run off. Ex- right. Yeah. Right. I'm going to freak out and la- yeah. and scratch you. Yeah. Um, I always said it's like I need to know that the gate is open, and then I'll stay in the yard. Ooh, that's so cool. Wow. I love that. <laughs> Beautiful. Hmm. I love that. I'm going to use that. That's really good. <laughs> like, if you want to be in a relationship with a seven, you got to be able to leave the gate open <laughs> and be comfortable with that. And, and we probably they're will stay. They're never going to stay. Yeah. We probably will stay, mm-hmm. right? Because, yeah, so it's the it's the idea of, like, trapped that then we seek a way out. But if it's open, you know. Yeah. We'll go and we'll come back. Eileen, you're thinking deeply about this. What's, I don't have any cat, I don't think. No. I really don't. I, I don't think I do. Um, Different instinct. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about it. Um, I am thinking because there's a few things running through my mind. So one of them is I think what I need most is just to know that who's ever with me is in my corner and not judging. Yeah. Um, You know, so that that's one thing I definitely need to know is that you're you're in my corner, and even if you don't agree with me, you're still on my team. You know. that's for the whole, that's for every ring of my little ring analogy. Then there was another thought when you were talking about the cat. I'm like, I don't have any. The other thing I know I need, and this is honestly, this could be just a Joe and Eileen relationship thing, but my husband 1000% protects me from myself. He protects me from oh, myself so. in a lot of ways. So when I go glutton, he protects me. He sometimes he'll stop me. Sometimes he'll pick me up off the ground. Like he just protects me from myself by asking questions. However, I always know he's on my side and not judging. It was a really hard question to answer. It is a really difficult question for yeah. me to answer. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need? I'll let you go. And it might come back to me. Something else just kind of flashed when you were talking about kind of the gate open. Oh, I know what it is. Like, don't tell me how I should do something. Because I'm not going to do it that way, even if it's the best way. <laughs> do not tell me. It's like I one of my favorite sayings is, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> and I will say it to anybody in the world. Like, don't tell me what to do. Do not tell me what to do or how to do it because that just gets right under my skin. 
Yeah, um, same. Because, and I won't do it. And how stupid is that? Even if it's the best idea in the world. Nope, not doing it. I feel that way even superficially with when people recommend, like, movies and TV shows I have to see. the worst. And they're like, you're going to watch this and you're going to love it. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yet? Music, yeah, I just And then if I watch it, I can't like it because someone told me to like it. (laughs) Gosh. That is awesome. Is it? No. I think it's awesome because it's so much like the seven. It's so true. What is that, though? What is it with it? That's what I'm I'm, I'm like with you. Like, what is that that's (laughs) happening to us that we— I feel the same way about a lot of things, whether it's a movie, music, or maybe it's or that you didn't being told find what to it do. yourself. It's like yeah. you didn't get to mm-hmm. discover it, and so and we we that's a, that's a and huge we pride thing for ourselves us, on is that. discovery. Sure, coming up with the, something different, something new. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the paradox is that I am totally the person to find something I love. And then shove it upon everyone. everyone. Don't like, uh, isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. Ask him what I did when I walked in this earlier. I was like, "Here's my phone. Listen to this song now." <laughs> if he, will, if someone did that like to it. me, I would be so irritated. Isn't I wonder f- if yep. that's the cat because I don't have any of that either. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> what I'm being okay. told? What, what part you can tell you? me what movies to watch and what music to listen to, and I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's well, I think humility. Have some recommendations for you. Then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's having humility. Like, there's not a whole lot of humility. Yeah, right. Often. Well, well, for you, Eileen, in the sense that it's not that there's a universality to this thing. Like, right, there right. are some things that people do tell me that I go, oh yeah, oh for sure, I'll take, I'll take that, and I don't, yeah. I don't mind them telling me that. And actually, I kind of seek it out. And yeah. I don't mind that. But in a lot of other areas, there's that rebel part of the seven. Um, yeah, and so would you? Would I got you, the rebel part. You yeah. have the rebel part. You, yeah. So it's so maybe a, that's just one example of something. It's just the way it expresses itself, yeah. and this yeah. is what's really great is that you don't have all the expressions. That's so right. important for what we do here, and you know, in our podcast, is we really want people to understand that the expression of the type is different from one person to the next, and it, and that's the wonderful thing about the enneagram. It's not a, you're not a box. We mm-hmm. don't want to create a box for anyone, right? Uh, but there are remarkable similarities, or at least what's functioning underneath is this is similar from one to another. Is this this need to be different? This need to mm-hmm. not uh, be a cookie cutter. Uh, not be told what for, to do. That's true. Not that's be, very good. Yeah, I yeah, always wanted to be different. I yeah. wanted to be left-handed. I wanted to when I was a kid. Wanted to be left-handed. Wore number thirteen because nobody else wanted it because it was scary. I'm like, okay, so just wanted to be different. Yeah, I yeah. De- I definitely have that. Yeah, the worst thing would be to be unoriginal or mm-hmm. yeah, boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that's for sure. We are really different, but one thing I'll say, like, I feel like I could hang out with these guys. <laughs> sure. Like pretty immediately I'm like, oh yeah, we can hang out. I think all seven say we that. We like each other. Yeah, we do like each other. <laughs> it's just it's like, oh, you get oh cool, we can do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh what do others find confusing about you? Uh I took this as what do others find frustrating about me? <laughs> we can so, work with that. Whatever that's worth. Because uh, I don't know that it's—I conf- think I guess it could be confusing at first, and then it just turns into a frustration. But sort of a, f- a flightiness or a fakiness—flakiness, uh, not fake—flakiness f- about what I'm doing and what my plans are and not really knowing if they're going to count on me. I switched—I've, over the course of my life, switched friends a lot and just changed my mind a lot all the time, mm-hmm. all day. 
I think it's confusing about like what, because when I'm talking to you and I'm into it, I'm like really into it, you know? But that doesn't mean that an hour later, I'm going to be talking to Jim and be so interested in that and have completely forgotten about that conversation. And I think that can come off as like being disingenuine or um, flaky to people. Yeah. yeah. Like, how could you have that many interests? How could you have, you know, or feel like they don't really know you because there's so much going on all the time? Learning things about you for, through others or just— oh, I was going to say that, yeah. Learning things yeah. about you that they didn't know and feeling a little betrayed by that, you know? like how? Well, and, and I think you've expressed it excellently because that's, that's a, a huge confusion that shows up, at least for me in my relationships, is that you said this to one person— and then this other person, you said something else. So my wife will say to me, I learn more about you from what I hear from other people. And then in terms of decision-making on a team, uh, I can be both frustrating and confusing. Because if I learn some new information, right, you're nodding your head, Eileen, right? I mean, Change like, your mind and tell change, somebody. Flexible. Yeah. The flexibility, like, yeah. the... You know, it depends. It does it make sense? I mean, right? Because we we seek that which makes the most sense and that which kind of connects all the dots. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to answer the question. I'm sorry. I have one little (laughs) tangent on that because I think I hold back talking. um, So even at work in my business, I hold back telling other people what I think about somebody else because... I think people hold on to my word too long, and I could change my mind tomorrow, right? So I'm going to tell you, I am irritated with Joe today, and I'm only going to tell you that if if I am sure that you're going to let that go because I'm going to let it go. So that's one reason I don't tell people what I think of other people often or what I think because I'm not confident that they're going to let it go like I would. Mm. I'm not. So Mm. I don't. I don't. Because I do it gone. I'll be irritated and then 30 minutes later, gone. Yeah, don't hold on to things for very long. Mm -mm. That's such good self-restraint, though. I don't hold on for things very long either, but the second I think it, I just, like, say it. Yeah. And then if, then I was going to say, that just it, sounds like, like maturity to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, could be, it could be. I'm more than twice her age, so I, I've had time. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. No, that don't hold on to much for very long at all. There are no, no grudges or yeah, not uh, very many. So very I think that can be confusing too because you can be very like, uh, I can go go one on something really quick, you know, and snap and be very righteous about what I think. And then an hour later, I don't care anymore. Mm. It's over. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. I'll Moved be like on to the next heated thing. about something. And then a week later, they're like, yeah, are you doing okay with that thing you were so mad about? And I was like, I was really <laughs> mad about that, wasn't I? <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was, was like 47 yeah. chapters ago. <laughs> I, I think um, that. I think one thing that people find confusing and or frustrating about me, kind of a different tangent, is that I'm incredibly non-confrontational. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm upset about, about a person— I will not say anything. If I'm upset about, you know, a general thing in the news or a, a system of some sort, like how much my rent is, um, I will be open about that. But if I have to confront a person about something they've done wrong to me, I I cannot bring myself to say anything. Mm-hmm. And it's very confusing because since I I kind of exude this mask of like everything's chipper, um, especially to people who don't know me very well. 
it becomes very difficult to decipher whether or not I'm okay with what people are doing, whether or not, you know, I'm rolling with the punches because there's so much simmering that I won't tell people about. And then it comes out in other areas of my life. Like I complain to my friend about something that so-and-so did, and it's it just makes it really messy when I could just— either what you're saying is, you know, let it sit, don't tell anyone, and then it'll dissipate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the non-confrontational thing is hard. I think that's a—I don't know if that's a seven thing, or but it's something that's a huge theme in my life, too, and I would say has been like a major part of, of growth. And I could imagine it would be a seven thing because you want things to be good. You want things yeah. to be positive. You want things to be—you want things to just work, right, and be— and like to keep moving and and believe it's all good between people and that people are generally good. And but it's caused a lot of dishonesty over time in relationships because I will refuse to have confrontation or even admit that I am angry at someone or don't like what they're doing. And over time that builds a fundamental dishonesty in the relationship because they you're not on ground zero anymore. They don't know even know they don't know how you feel. You don't know how they feel, and you're you're faking it, basically, until you snap. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, blow people out of your life completely. That, that had been my pattern. Mm. Um, and that is very jarring for people. Yeah. It's like, oh, I thought we were on a completely different page. Mm. Well, it's the ugly All that they don't usually— time, It's the ugly they don't usually see. They don't usually us. see that, mm-hmm. no. And then—but but inevitably, you're growing more resentful. Yeah. They're continuing to be disillusioned about how, who you actually are, how you feel. And then— it will reach a point where you snap. Mm-hmm. And that side is very confusing for people to see. Yeah. You know, but so so I guess it's kind of like, for me, it's being able to sit and really ask myself how I feel and admit that things aren't great when they're not great. Admit, I don't like something if I don't like something, you know. Mm-hmm. And have that be okay. Not mm-hmm. not like taking that harsh critic, looking at that as a, as a criticism on, on myself. Mm-hmm. I think I fear the, you know, things have to get worse before they get better. So if I confront someone about something, we now have to have a tense discussion or argument to resolve it. And I don't want to sink down to yeah. that no. that hard conversation. I will just glaze across the surface until I forget about it, hopefully. That's really—thank you. That's yeah. very insightful for me because yeah. I think of— I think of it that—I never thought of it in that that those terms, but— that you're right. That visitation of that space down below um, is not—it's a terrifying thing. Um, yeah, you feel that. Like, I feel like I'm going to get stuck there for too long. Like mm-hmm. it's a—it's oh, oh God, I'm going down here. And and so yeah, I'd like to skip past that and get back up to climbing up to. I don't even good. feel like I'll get stuck there. I feel like it will like kill me. <laughs> no, I'm care- I'm serious. Still, you'll be, I feel yeah. like it, I have felt like that before. Like, I can't go there. It's mm. too, I don't know what will happen if I go there, mm. you know? Yeah. And I, it's, you know, I think over time you realize that there's nothing, it's okay. Nothing's mm. going to happen to you if you go there. It's quite necessary. Yeah. It's not as scary as you think. But I mean, that's why it's interesting to me to be in relationship with eights or people that are more confrontational because they don't view that as they they like like going there. There's nothing wrong with it. If they quite enjoy it, and, and people still like them, and people love Pe- them, people still are in relationship with them, right? Yeah. And so I think it's a it's a interesting shadow sort of 
work mm. that, for a seven, I think. I remember the first time I told um, my wife uh, what seemed to me like was going to be the most incredibly difficult news to tell her. And I said, um, this is a bunch of years back. I said, you know, I don't think our relationship is doing really well. And I said it with as with like all this ugliness that was emerging out of me. And when I said it, she looked up and was like, well, thank you for finally acknowledging it. Like it wasn't anything that was shocking to her or devastating to her or life-altering for her. When I thought it would, I thought it was like the responsibility that sometimes we feel like we carry. is like the I got to keep everything, too. the self-importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I got to carry this. I've got to, you know, keep everybody If, if up I'm not and, holding it up, it's all going to fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. I think I think people are confused when they find out I actually have dark days. Oh. Like you do. Mm. You know, not many. Um, of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think people are people are confused when they find out I actually do admit dark days and they they're also su- surprised when they find out I don't have full confidence in something. Mm. Like oh. you were nervous? <laughs> you know? Um because again, especially that outer circle, they don't see dark girl and they don't see scared girl. The inner circle, no, you know, my family, yes, but the you know, they don't see it. So when they when I say, "Oh yeah, I had a terrible day and it was this," and I was, and they're thinking, "What?" Mm. So that confuses people. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute, you're not showing me that, right? Mm. So they don't believe. Very it. good actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think acting at confidence is a, a big, a very confusing in my life, how I will act like I am, you know, very sure of myself. And then when I admit that I think that I've, you know, done a poor job or that I don't think that I'm, you know, good enough to do something, people seem shocked. They're like, oh, you seem so confident about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's mm. a big paradox. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In what ways do you feel misunderstood? Well, I think that it ties lo- to this this confusion thing. So feel yeah, free I to- think a lot of the behaviors that do look selfish aren't. They aren't coming from a genuine, you know, a selfish place. It's almost a self preservation or a. It's just the water we're swimming in. It's like there's no intent to just take from people or to not see people, meet them where they are, to not want to be with people. So that can hurt. That can be hard to swallow. Yeah. Although I understand it. Mm-hmm. It's it can be hard to swallow because there is so much good intention and mm-hmm. so much love and and you know compassion and all those things. Yeah. Um and I think misunderstood is also like that our that we are the way that we act all the time. That's not true. Mm. You know, there's a lot of sadness and darkness and mm-hmm. underneath there. I don't think I have. That's I, I'm so misunderstood that way anymore mm-hmm. because I let that stuff out. But I remember someone, a man I dated, telling me after he knew me for a, a long time, saying, "You have the sunny disposition." And you're one of the darkest people I've ever met. <laughs> and I wouldn't have known that for years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Similar to what you just said, 
when people think that my optimism and my confidence can't be possibly be real. And it really is. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't fake, again, at my age, you know, I'm done faking confident and I'm done faking optimism. Like, so when I'm optimistic now and when I'm confident, when I'm not nervous, it's really true. But people who aren't naturally like that or, you know, sometimes they think there is no way she's that happy. There is no way she's that confident. There is no way she's that optimistic. But I am. Or at least I believe I am, right? So it's not faking it. It could be deeper down, you know, something else. Well, it's but. not the only thing you are or is confident and optimistic, but that's real. Right. It's There's real. an element of it that's real. Yeah, it's real. It's I'm not faking it. I'm not being Pollyanna. And that's what I say to my daughter now. This is not Pollyanna, Mama. This is real. You know, that was phenomenal. Um, so I feel like, you know, some. so I feel like I'm misunderstood sometimes that that can't be real, and it is. I feel like this is a hard question for you to answer. We were talking earlier about, like, flightiness, about flitting between different things you're interested in, et cetera, et cetera. And since I'm always trying to maintain more friendships than is possible for me to maintain out of this desire to have tons of options Mm -hmm. and also because I genuinely care and I'm interested in all sorts of different people. I mean, you talked about these circles of friendship. I have groups of people I know from all sorts of, you know, things in my life, from home, from school, from work, from sports. And I then tend to be a poor communicator because I've spread myself too thin between all of these people. And especially, like, the bane of my existence is text messaging and email. It completely overwhelms me. Um, And someone will say, like, I haven't talked to you in weeks. Like, And they could be, like, my best friend in the world. And I won't respond for, like, 10 to 14 days, and it is not because I don't care about them. It's because... I just, like, have my hands in, like, too many cookie jars. or, mm-hmm. And then when I do get back to them, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, let's find a time to talk. It, I, I worry also that it's this, like, disingenuine, like, attempt at, you know, oh, oh yeah, I care about this. But really, I do. Um, I just have a hard time balancing, like, this, this like, juggling act of, of friendship and connection I have across the different spheres of my life. Mm-hmm. Um despite that I feel deeply about all these people. Mm. Maybe this is me. So uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on this, but I feel like people misunderstand sometimes. um, And this has been true in my marriage. This has been true in conversations I've had with lots of people where, um, because I'm interested in a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things, I will take on an idea and I I will wear it. It becomes my outfit. And I'm in it, thinking about it, talking about it, I'm even living it out. And uh, people sometimes you see that as, oh, is this the new thing we're doing? Is this the direction you're going in? Is this, you know, <laughs> and, um, and they believe that with all my confidence that I have completely changed everything about who I am to become this thing or to do this thing. And, um, and what I wish they understood was that I actually need to do that. Give me the space to do that. I'm going to come back but give me the space. So I love the gate analogy for a lot of different reasons, but give me the space to actually explore this, to try this on. And um, don't worry, I'm not going to like upheave everything. 
I just need to explore this and be in that space for a little while. I think that sounds exactly like what you're saying. She's saying with friendships, what I've said with things you changing my mind about things all the time. So no, I don't think that's just you. I think it's not a lot of people think, how could you hold all those things in your mind or yeah. be interested yeah. in all those things at the same time or those all those people or wanted and or I don't know why that's true, but it is true. And it's it's a fast switching sort of I think there's beauty in it. And yes, we want to be able to stretch into those. And I think it's also something you have to really be on to yourself about is mm. why you're why you're continually seeking new. Mm. It's a strength and it also can handicap you. Let me ask you guys a question though. That's this is what we get from um a lot of the stereotyping that's um, out there in terms of sevens is that we're superficial people. That we are, um, that we're really not deep. We're like, we like to skim the surface of things and just happy, 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 laugh, 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 play, play, play. Um, how would you respond to that? Because that seems to be, that for me is a place of confusion as well. And that's the what the, maybe the people see, but certainly not what's going on for us. That's never been true for me. That's why I originally didn't identify with this. I didn't believe I was a seven. Mm. I've always been attracted to the dark music, the dark movies, the dark books, and 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 not just like reading about things or learning, you know, learning about them or going there. But I always wanted to have the real conversation with people. Like I remember just eavesdropping on my parents' conversations late at night, you know, sitting up on the stairs because I really wanted to know what, what it was really happening with people. And I wanted to know, like, the 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 deeper places, not what was presented all the time. I think there is a difference about then there's a difference between thinking about those things and knowing about them and actually being willing to experience them. That. I think is true that that took me a very long time to be willing to do that. But I don't think there's anything superficial or about me or that I'm not willing to go deep. Mm. I don't think anyone would say that about me either. Mm. There's this wonderful Elizabeth Gilbert quote that I come back to over and over. Um, I don't know the exact quote, but it's a passage about her ode to curiosity. Mm. And she talks about how passion is such a terrifying, like, subject. Passion seems like something you would need to, like, shave your head and move across the world for, leave your <laughs> life behind. Um, but curiosity is so gentle, and it's something that you can just, like, you know, um, peek behind a door or kind of nudge something aside and just do a little bit of exploring to see what it's like. And I— I feel that way about being a seven. It doesn't feel so much like the superficial skimming of the surface of different interests, but rather I'm constantly pushing my curiosity through different doors in search of something that I might want to do a deep dive into. Mm -hmm. But in the last year, I have tried running. I've tried making homemade kombucha. I bought a bike. Like, I'm always trying to find the new thing. And it's not because I superficially want to try everything. It's because I'm just like poking around. It feels like I'm on the search for the thing that I will do a deep dive into. It's like an honest search. Um, 
not this like happy-go-lucky skimming that you're describing, Joel. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really have any. I don't. Superficial just sounds like such a rotten thing to be, <laughs> um, because it sounds like it. It sounds like fake to me. Superficial, fake, right? So superficial in terms of breath, yes. Superficial in terms of fake, I can't relate. Really. Well, how would you, how would you uh, distinguish between? Earlier, you're saying that I can be perceived as flaky, and but you're like, no one would say I was superficial. Like, how do you differentiate mm. between those two things? Well, okay, so flaky, flaky to me is like you change your mind. You want to do one thing one minute, and you maybe don't want to do it the next minute. Um, whereas superficial is you're not going to get the real, you're not going to get um, an honest answer from me or you're not going to get genuine emotion from me or you're not going to get sincerity, sincerity from me. And that's not the, that's not true. I'll be real with you and sincere. And it's just that um, I'm also real and sincere about 50 other things. Mm. And so it's like almost a matter of attention, maybe. Like my attention is spread in a lot of different places. Um, but they're not, my, my attention is not fake. I'm not faking those things. I liked the description of superficial in breadth. That really resonated with me. Um, you know, spread thin, but but honest and sincere mm-hmm. curiosity and like attention to each of the things that it lands on. Mm-hmm. This is a good example of where Joe will protect me. So I will say, oh, my gosh, look at that idea. (laughs) And he will say, what makes that idea different than the third one ago that you tried? And that's a that's a that's a pause for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll say, "You don't get it." <laughs> I'll just do it. But sometimes I'll say, "Oh my gosh, you're so right." Yeah. Like yeah. that. So that's a that's a hack that he does for me. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I'll, because I'll be excited. I mean, I'll be excited. We're gonna get that. Oops, we're gonna get that. And he's like, "We already have this." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right." Or we tried that before, Eileen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so well said. And I think that the whole thing of curiosity is that can tend because the curiosity and also the avoidance sometimes of the darker emotions, particularly when we're feeling more anxious, is we can we can then become more inch deep and Mm -hmm. a mile wide. And so our work in relationships is is that of things like hacks, or like mm-hmm. uh, you know, that are helpful to us to say, wait, there's also the deeper part of us that we can sometimes forget. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, last question: How do your loved ones get to know you? <laughs> one one thing I thought of because it was hard, but one thing I thought of is they better be watching me closely because I don't tell a lot. Right. So they watch and they see and they observe and they probably make um, assumptions or come to conclusions, you know, about. So they, I think they have to watch to figure out how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't stop long enough to tell anybody. 
Um, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, when I'm anxious or when I was very sick at one point and I just needed to be dark girl for a day, you know how you said sometime you'll go to people and you'll sit with them and be with them. And one of the reasons that's, it's not, it's easy for me once I recognize it, but it's difficult for me to recognize that somebody wants me to sit with them because when I'm dark and I want to have a really bad day, I want to be alone. Mm-hmm. Don't come near me. I don't need your help. I don't want you to encourage me. Nothing. Just let me go to my room, Mm -hmm. shut my door, be miserable. And then next day I'll be fine. So um, that was a total seven tangent. Um, But um, (laughs) because the question, I think people, that's how people, even the closest people to me, if they don't say, mom, what are you thinking? They have to make make assumptions and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Because I don't stop long enough Mm -hmm. to say, a little bit better at it now, but not very. Mm-hmm. And I'm much better at it with my husband and my daughters and Eric than I am even with my next ring. So, mm-hmm. does that do you think have anything to do with the seven being kind of future minded? So you're going and you're into this thing, but so much how do you feel or what are you thinking about it is a past test question, and so that's no longer interesting. I think I, that's really interesting. So. Yes, because that's a really great way to put it because I do know that when, like when I was really sick that one time or when I have a really bad day, I put my head down and go and all I'm looking at is where I'm headed. So that's very future. I don't need to acknowledge all of this junk to get where I'm going. Um, Well, that's what I say. Joel has helped me dig into a little bit of that junk so that it's not, you know, walking through life with me. But I do think it's because I'm like, Here's the problem, and here's where we need to go, and I'm looking at the end. That's definitely, like, I don't need to acknowledge all this crap. I'm just going to fix it, and then we don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Not good, but does that make sense? Yeah. yeah it's total forward, yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like um, my loved ones get to know me better by asking me very pointed questions, which seems really obvious, but um, I don't know if this is as a seven or just a facet of my personality, but I love to talk about myself. And (laughs) I think about myself all the time. I think that sevens are pretty self-centered. But because I'm also deeply concerned with my self-image, I would never want people to peg me as selfish and self-centered. I had an an ex-boyfriend once told me I was selfish and I will n- literally never let it go. And so this this idea that I don't want to be perceived that way follows me. And therefore, if people aren't asking me pointed questions about myself, even though I want to talk about myself and tell people what's going on, I don't want it to be, you know, the Kate show. I don't want it to be me, me, me. So I won't say anything. Um, but if anyone opens the door and is like, so how was your day? I feel like I've now been given the permission to tell all. Um, so, yeah, however coy that sounds. But um, I love telling what's going on with me. And I don't have many reservations about being honest with someone that I'm having a hard time or being honest about something I'm really proud of that I've accomplished. I just want this space opened up for me to do so and me feel like people really want to receive it without me boring down on them with things about how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's awesome. Um, I just keep thinking I, if people wanted to get to know me to read 
what I write. Mm. Like, I feel like that's the place where I'm the least, there's the least amount of junk. Mm. Like, I actually, I can tell the truth to, even to myself. You know, not that I'm outwardly lying or anything. It's just, that's the the truest me. So reading my words. Um, but obviously, that's also not a reality. Like, I would never... <laughs> Come to my house here. Just you know, just read, read this essay. <laughs> <Just> read <laughs> well, you could send it to him as pre-work. Read this before you come right. over, and then we'll be good. So it's not something that actually is. That's not how relationships actually work. But how that would translate in a relationship, I think the watching is a really good insight. Watching what I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. Watching what I'm doing, you know, I can talk all the, I mean, we always have things to say and figuring it out when we're talking and all that, but there's a lot of noise there. So the times I've learned the most about myself from people that love me are when they've made very gentle, but astute observations having, after having watched me. For a long time. Like, I've noticed you do this. I, I asked that question of you guys, and I'm not even prepared to answer it. It's a tough question for me as well. Like, I think um, what I've learned in relationship with um, with my wife has been that I need to talk, I need to to, to express my uh, my vulnerable needs because I don't like vulnerability I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like having any weakness or or having people have anything on me. Like I don't I just don't want you having power in any way um or control uh, or ability to manipulate me. Um and so I te- I keep all that and I don't even notice it. It just doesn't doesn't come to my attention. Does anybody like so, that though? Does anybody want that? Um, there are some that prefer to communicate in that language of here's what's going on emotionally for me. Yeah. Here's what's happening on the inside. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. And so for me to say this is what I need, even e- even things like, Joel, do you like this? I can say no, and I'll say no. I'll say, no, I don't like this. Right? But if you push and you argue, I just will be like, you know what? I don't care. And I'll back out because I just don't want to to do that, right? I've started to actually say, because I'm suggestible as a seven, I can be convinced of a lot of different things if the if the argument makes sense. But what ends up happening is it's me really functioning out of here and not really paying attention to what I want from from my heart. A lot of things I just don't genuinely don't care about, right? But there are some things that I do, but I've learned to just not even pay attention to that. So I've had to tune back in and say, actually, I, I'm not going to push or fight for this, but here's what I really want. Well, it doesn't make sense. I know, I know that part doesn't make sense. I know that. I'm not going to even try to rationalize it. I'm just telling you, this is my preference. Do you care? And can you hold that? And that has been an extremely mm-hmm. difficult step for me to take, but it's one that has um, allowed me to um, be known more uh, by those who love me. But the other things you guys have said are all very true for me as well. It's someone asking me good questions. How are you doing? What was your day like? I'm I, I, like you, Kate. I, 
you just get me going, man. I, I'm I'm good to talk about me, but to ask those deeper questions, like, okay, but what else? Because I'm not just my head; I'm also my heart, mm-hmm. and that's exactly why I sought out a coach, somebody to ask me those open-ended, good questions. Mm. That's exactly mm. why I was seeking out a coach, um, because I wanted, I need, not I wanted, I needed somebody to help me unpack some of this. And I say unpack, but, you know, just discover it. And because I go so fast, I don't stop to think and discover and say why. Um, but that's exactly why. Mm. And, you know, so, um, and that was really valuable. Mm. Well, thank you so much. You guys, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.